call. So it's uh, it appears that it's live. Um, so everyone on the YouTube live chat, I'm not sure if it's working or I'm not sure if I'm just talking to myself here and my three lovely guests. Um, so give me some kind of acknowledgement if it is working over there. I may drop a comment or something um, just to say, hey, uh, it's working. I'm going to go check it out right now, actually. There we go. Um, and if not, that's all right. We've got plenty of fun people here to have a great conversation with anyway, so it's all not in vain. So... Um, for those of you guys that frequent the Q&A sessions after all of our videos, um, that's great. Um, we always sort of really appreciate it. But uh, in in the past, it's sort of been a, a little bit more of a kind of hit and a miss with, um, you know, how it happens. And we just sort of live streamed a Discord discussion. And it worked really, really well. But unfortunately, it kind of got to a point where there was, you know, sort of 40 people sort of sitting there on a stream. And, um, you know, questions were kind of being thrown left, right and center. And maybe some of the best questions didn't get answered. And uh, some of the terrible questions got answered uh, 20,000 times over, and it wasn't really conducive to, um, you know, the fantastic conversations that we wanted to have. So we're giving this a go, where basically what we will do is we will bring uh, a few people onto the stream every week, uh, a few people that have either sort of shown some level of intellect or our aptitude in um, their particular um you know sort of field or discipline uh, or someone that's just sort of asked a sort of a fantastic question and we'll have a discussion based around that uh, we still plan on answering questions at the end of the day that's what we're here for um so that if you do have something around um hey you you want to sort of have a comment question or a, a query about the sort of most recent video or if you want to tell me it's absolute garbage and i'm completely wrong or i'm a keynesian shill or whatever uh, you have the platform to do that but hopefully this just gives us a slightly more uh, controlled environment. So um, with that kind of out of the way, um, there's a couple of things. Uh, oh, yep, go it ahead. It does work. I can hear it on stream. Uh, additionally, we now have somebody else who just joined. Yes, that's compounded daily. Oh, he's uh, looking very generic. Yep. <laughs> Come on, daily, can you hear us? Oh, no. Well, that's uh, not looking promising. He'll figure it yeah. out. He's a smart boy. <laughs> The uh, yeah, but on YouTube, they can't hear no, us. No, we can't hear you, compound. Yeah, there's uh, a text okay. channel on the right, and you just okay. Yes, yeah, so, um, you'll have to set it up in your like a there's a little drop down menu on your um, on your uh, browser, select that, so, uh, make sure to set enable. Uh, but the stream seems to be fine up on YouTube. Uh, yep, Rath, uh, Matthias just said as well. He can see it. It looked great. Awesome. Uh -huh. Beautiful. Swell. Oh, and Compounded Daily is going to figure it out. He's, he's a very intelligent individual, but he's probably, probably a lot like me. Uh, technology eludes him, I suppose. Yep. And, okay, I've gotten a lot of confirmation from a bunch of people. <laughs> all right. Seems like we're good to go. Um, so I suppose without further ado, we'll get it all sort of kicked off. Um, I suppose the topic at hand is, is economic stimulus, um, which is apparently, you know, well, sorry, which is... Uh, something that is very much at the forefront uh, in today's world in response to uh, the coronavirus and what governments are doing to address things like rapid unemployment, um, you know, huge levels of, of individual debt that seems to be kind of on the verge of uh, a complete disaster. And it's something that we have explored um, both in a few videos that we've looked at, you know, is this going to be the next Great Depression? Um, you know, China's debt trap, if we're looking at things on a national level. Uh, and now, of course, specifically while we're looking at, you know, the tools that are available to governments um, and how to effectively leverage economic stimulus, because um, I think a lot of economists make the mistake that, oh, if you just get money out there, it'll, it'll kind of do its thing. And that's not necessarily correct. There is, um, you know, good stimulus and bad stimulus. And 
uh, you know, throwing money out of an airplane isn't necessarily uh, the be-all and end-all, despite what uh, a lot of, uh, I don't know, Keynesians might think. Ooh. But um, from that, um, oh, we got compounded back. I'll add him. Hopefully he can talk now. Um, but from that, I, I suppose I'll sort of hand over to you guys because I want this to be much more of a discussion. I mean, what were your, what were your thoughts? And I think, uh, especially from someone from an American's perspective, I think it's really interesting because you guys have been the hardest hit. Uh, and also, you, you know, you've experienced firsthand literally the largest economic stimulus uh, in history and how that sort of like has impacted people on the ground, I suppose. I wish I could speak directly to how much is impacted, but unfortunately I'm kind of lost on how it's impacting uh, everyday people. Uh, for the most part, I just see, you know, what's going on nationally uh, with the large stimulus. We've uh, you know, pushed out quite a lot of money to uh, businesses and in the first round of funding of the stimulus for businesses, it went uh, dry after two weeks. So they did a second round um, and it's it, it, the the rollout was, uh, as you said in the video, it was, it's, it was both a blunt and it was also bureaucratic. Um, it has it, it had its perks and it also uh, fell short in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, that's standard for the United States. It's just too large of a government. Uh, I mean, we it's a very, very large nation. Uh, Compound, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Um, can you guys hear me? Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Just awesome. Yeah. So at, at the beginning of all of this, we were kind of advising our clients to draw down their lines of credit, right? So to uh, provide ample liquidity so that they could try and weather the storm, um, whether or not that was going to be a couple of months, whether or not that was going to be half a year. Um, nobody knew at the time. So um, that, that was kind of the advice that we gave. And then uh, things started getting a little kind of more uh, eerie. So obviously the, the PPP program was released. Um, problem though is, uh, you know, that's, that's good for the short term, but you know, are people going to actually be going out to restaurants? Are people going to be buying services? Uh, is, is everything just going to be all, all better? And, and for a lot of these, uh, a lot of these companies, they're really only given one restart opportunity, right? So um, meaning that they have just enough liquidity to start up once again. And if, unless there's some sort of government stimulus to come in to, you know, help keep them afloat, pay their, pay their leases, uh, their employees, they're just not going to be able to do that. So um, it's interesting to see how these next couple of weeks, I think will play out, but ultimately, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of distress right now, a lot of liquidity crunch with uh, in individual companies and, and their ability to uh, have access to capital to pay maybe the next month's rent. Um, but, you know, as of now, um, most most of what we're seeing is is fine. Just, you know, a couple, couple more weeks and things will get really bad. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, actually, something that I wanted to discuss sort of briefly before we get into the questions. Um, I mean, for, for a bit of background, I know Compounded Daily works in um, or at least parallel to, to a lot of investment banking. And, you know, without revealing too much, because I'm sure it's all top secret and he'll like, I don't know, uh, <laughs> Mr. Goldman Sachs himself will come down and from a helicopter and, and shoot me in the head if I reveal too much. Um, but it is something that, um, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, I'm that that's my sort of day to day profession as well awesome. um, is, yeah, is dealing with 
uh, with clients and, and businesses um, in a sense of, yeah, drawing down their lines of credit is, is something that um, was, yeah, it's really at the forefront. And it goes to show that uh, a lot of businesses just don't have the kind of liquidity, the cash on hand um, to, you know, sort of weather things out. You know, we always sort of harp on about every, you know, man, woman and child should have a six-month emergency fund. Uh, it's it's just extremely rare for, for businesses. It's, it's to not realistic, right? Yeah, it's not realistic. Yeah. There's so, so many times where, where businesses, I mean, they, they too live paycheck to paycheck in a way, right? So, yeah. you know, um, it. And and, and honestly, whether people have this idea all too often that business is just, you know, continue making these these great profit margins. Right. And and more often than not, you know, it's like, all right, you know, one year you'll have a profitable year. Another year it's kind of, you know, we have to break out the 13 week cash flow and do a a cash flow analysis. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Um, So, you know, it. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's 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 tough for a lot of these these companies to even just survive a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think it's another big one is as well. Uh, oftentimes, people have looked at that pretty critically. Um, they sort of said, "Ah, oh, you know," especially when it came to things like airlines and stuff of that nature. It's like, "Ah, oh, well, stuff them." You know, they they've turned around and told us all this time about how we should be saving our money, and now you know they need a hand when you know why what they should have uh, you know we we had to cut down an avocado toast yeah. and. Um, lattes, they should have cut down on, you know, uh, stock buybacks and, and dividend payments. And um, a lot of that seems kind of fair, but I think Compounded Daily is probably, you know, sort of at the forefront. I'm not sure of the size of the companies that you deal sort of directly with or what kind of companies you have exposure to, but when you're talking about, you know, drawing down lines of credit and things like that, I would imagine at least small to medium to, to large, uh, sorry, uh, medium size enterprises to large size enterprises. Yeah, um, middle market. And, yeah. And, and you can kind of give us some... Um, like the basic 411 on why uh, it's actually somewhat irresponsible for, for businesses to keep that much cash on hand. Yeah. So so if, if you hold way too much cash on hand, right? So as as a company yourself, your your goal is to grow, right? Your goal is to grow or provide profit to maybe your shareholders. So if you have retained earnings year over year, if you just hold that money on your balance sheet as a company, well, that money isn't going to be either one distributed in the sort in the form of dividends to your shareholders, or two, it's not going to be used to grow and try and expand your your equity value. So, um, in in a way, you want to continue inter, uh, increasing the value of your company, or you want to uh, return that value to your shareholders. So, if you're holding that money in cash on your balance on your balance sheet, that money is not being reinvested. That money is not going being put to work. Um, so it's, it's, it's ill-advised to do that. Yeah. Which is, which is exactly, uh, yeah, which is exactly sort of what leads to these types of situations. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, potentially I would would add also though, while that's, you know, necessarily true, uh, and a lot of when I was, uh, gave my master's in finance, that was one of the things that we were taught, but at the same time, uh, you know, I'm reading, uh, you know, book, um, from Benjamin Graham, uh, who, one of the fathers of uh, value investing. He talks about how the best form of returns uh, are always positive returns because any negative returns that you have uh, are really going to offset any positive gains uh, that you had. So first rule about actually uh, accruing wealth and growing is don't have losses. Uh, and if that means that, yeah, you have to put uh, put up some uh, cash uh, for to weather these storms just so that you can make sure continue to have a positive return, uh, so be it. Yeah. 
Um, cool. And I think someone someone's voice is sort of echoing there in the background. <laughs> I right. didn't know I'd have to, I didn't know I'd have to do the uh, the microphone slammed out on a stream with only five people on it. Um, well, yeah, but I think black sheep. Yeah, no, I think that's a it's a really awesome point that that you make. That um, yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately the takeaway is is I do really hope, and I know it's it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen because we're all going to forget about this in a year's time, and it's going to be back to business as usual. Um, that people are going to you know just keep more cash on hand. They just they'll just um, both businesses and individuals will have this that that little bit of a buffer. Um, such that, you know, small, what, what should be sort of, uh, you know, a relatively minor thing. Okay, you have to work from home. You have to stay in, inside for a few weeks. And it sounds, the reason it sounds so disastrous to us is because we are living in a system that's teetering on the edge. If we realistically had a system that was a little bit more robust and someone said to you, it's like, look, all right, you know, a few people are going to be out of work. Um, you're going to have to stay at home for a few, uh, you know, a few weeks or months or, you know, worst case scenario, you know, a little bit of business is going to dry up. And then, you know, once we've dealt with it, it's going to be back to business as usual. It sounds horrifying to us uh, as, you know, economists or people in finance and stuff like that. And, you know, most of the general public, because we've grown up with this system that, oh, my God, you know, um, if we stop working for a week or if most people stop working for a week or if unemployment rises by three or four or, you know, heaven forbid, 10% or something, that's just the worst kind of situation ever. Uh, whereas realistically, it, it it is not, you know, big picture long term that bad. It's just because we're so tightly leveraged on or sort of a lot of aspects of our society that, you know, what is, you know, and I don't want to sort of dispel the, the medical side of it because, of course, that's a serious issue. But economically, what's a, you know, a relatively small nudge uh, has these catastrophic consequences, you know, our factories are still there. They still have the same capacity that they did, you know, four months ago. Our ships wow. haven't sunk. Our buildings haven't been bombed or anything like that. It's still there. It's ready to get back up and running. Um, point, but, yeah. You, it's something that you have to keep going. You can't just freeze it and keep it for a couple of months and then re unfreeze it again. Yeah. But well, I think I a lot of that it, you can. <laughs> I think... Uh, no, I, I, machines I, deteriorate if you, don't, if you just leave them be. You have to start process again. It's all costly, right? Uh, long, yeah, no, long I, I, I think no, I think that that's a that's a fair, and obviously I'm probably oversimplifying it too much on my end to say that it, there's nothing. But uh, it's not a, it's not <laughs> as simple as you know, go downstairs and click over your car. I I, I um my the, the battery on my car freaking went flat. I hadn't driven it in so long. I was sitting yeah. down. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, all right then. All right, better better fill her up. Um, but yeah, obviously the same kind of things happen on a much bigger level. Uh, so there's a few little inconveniences there. But in terms of like global economic meltdown, having to re-oil your machines or get a new batteries, probably not going to be as devastating as, as what we're kind of looking at or we're on the precipice of kind of here. Um, well, which, Yeah, but I mean more like long-term. There were long-term plans that were ab absolutely destroyed because of this emergency. Yeah. Like, you know, there mm -hmm. are years of years building permissions and stuff like that. These things needed to happen right then and there for them to have returns. Yeah, yeah and that, that's more of on, again, back to the whole short-term, very immediate um, you know, type of society that we've uh, fostered and, and grown up in and continue to contribute to. No, Nobody sees risk these days, right? Because like, nobody respects that something can ha go wrong. 
Yeah. Well, people see risk and they're like, oh, you beauty, that's an extra few percent on my annual return. They don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, that's how they associate risk right. nowadays. I mean, yeah, risk, risk is risk. still seen. It's just, it's just baked into either, you know, your, your expected equity return or interest rates. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's crazy stuff. And uh, Phoenix over on the uh, YouTube live stream actually made a great point um that uh, i mean we're, we're sort of probably collectively of, of some bias here and um i mean from, from my point of view maybe i'm sort of getting a bit high and mighty because i have not really been affected in any way negatively by this i mean i had to stay in my apartment with my my partner and my little fluffy dog and that's about as much effort i i, I put into sort of, uh like you know maintaining myself throughout this crisis because yeah it's true you know most of my work uh, my day-to-day my -day job is is done online youtube is obviously done online um so i've been just fine i've not felt it at all if anything i'm saving money on eating out and you know gambling all the time um but uh no i'm kidding i don't gamble too much but you know going going crazy on a friday night with your with your boys or whatever it may be uh all these sort of discretionary expenses and i think that's kind of crew for the the, the a vast majority of the audience i would i would argue um watching videos on, on long-form video essays on on economic issues, uh, they probably are more sort of monetarily inclined. I don't know. Maybe that's an overgeneralization, but maybe we're sort of underplaying some of the the sort of on-the-ground issues, uh, which is probably a bias that we should be aware of. But other than that, yeah. um, let's get into the questions anyway before we get too um, too uh, philosophical, uh, too mushy. We're 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 economists, you know. We're here to, to look at the the, yeah. the facts and figures. So um, we had a few questions that um, have been submitted to us to discuss. Yeah, do you want me to read them off or yeah well um one in yeah, particular that you want you, you you use your thick american accent to um you know sort of smoothly talk about what we're going to be discussing oh thank you <laughs> well there's a number of questions that we can uh address uh like i said is there anyone in particular uh that you would like to take, take your take your pick yeah so the first one i see is from phoenix on youtube uh you said in your video yesterday that UBI would be ineffective, yet we see unrest in Italy and the poorer regions. What does corporate stimulus do to ease issues like that, uh, which will also cause economic, and it cuts off, uh, or, or uh, I believe, economic harm? Right. Yeah, so that's a really interesting one. And um, a full disclaimer is I'm actually a huge fan of the idea of a universal basic income. Um, you know, if it, if it means, you know, taxing rich fucks like me a little bit more, um, you know, yeah, so be it, I guess, as, as painful as that makes it, you know, as painful as it is for me to say that. Uh, if it means that a lot of that money gets dispersed to, you know, people that can really genuinely use it, uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic thing. But you just have to pick the right time to use it. Now, the effective argument that I've made here is that uh, if you disperse all of this money, uh, you know, if, let's say it's whatever, let's say it's a, you know, $2,000 a month payment to everyone in a society, um, you know, every taxpaying citizen or however it is that you draw the line, um, fantastic. That is going to be an amazing, you know, you know, demand-based stimulus package. That's great. Um, you know, that means that people have more money in their pockets, which they can go out and spend in businesses and all that sort of stuff. But the only problem is, uh, at the moment, there's no businesses that are open. The businesses that they would spend money on are going to be primarily online, you know, places like Amazon or, you know, subscriptions to, to Netflix or, or whatever it may be, um, more so than going down to your little local restaurant or your local brunch spot or, you know, paying your subscription to your gym or, or whatever it may be that's a little bit more localised. Um, hey, well, look, even, even for example, you know, even if you're spending that money on, like, let's say, fast food, um, you know, that's going to 
you know, franchise owners or whatever it may be. Uh, but because it's going to be redistributed primarily to, you know, large online vendors like like your Amazons and stuff like that, it's not going to be as effective as, um, you know, what's going to happen um, if it was done during a more stable time, which is probably the right time to roll out something as, as radical as that. The other thing is that this is not necessarily a purely demand-side problem. People are feeling really uneasy right now. Don't get me wrong. So there's a lot of people there that are unsure if they're going to have jobs in a month's time. There's people that are not sure, um, you know, if they're when they're going back to work, when they're even going to be able to go back to work. Um, there are people that have been, you know, basically sort of locked in their house and it's like, hey, um, you have no income. You can't go outside. You still got to pay your rent. Have fun. Bye. Uh, and that's obviously incredibly scary to a lot of people, you know, especially people that are kind of at the best of times living on the edge. Um, I, I, you know, I, I really do truly sympathize with them. So that's causing obviously people to go, you know what, anything that's not rice and beans and, you know, what I need to basically keep myself alive, I'm not using that because I don't know when my next paycheck is coming or I don't know when my paycheck is going to end. Uh, and that is the foundation of, you know, uh, a demand-based sort of economic slowdown. But the problem is also on the other side in the sense that we have also a supply side issue in the sense that um, even if we did have lots of people out there with lots and lots of money and they were more than happy to go out and spend it, unfortunately, there's not many places to spend it at the moment. There's not many businesses that are allowed to operate given the restrictions of various countries around the world um, to effectively achieve that. So when you're talking about a universal basic income, it's, it's pretty much almost entirely uh, demand-based, you know, demand-side stimulus. Um, whereas if we talk about corporate welfare and things like that, um, it is more of a supply-side thing. It keeps the nation with the ability to keep on producing things. So if we keep something like United Airlines in business or let's say General Motors was teetering on the edge, I think they're probably in a more stable position, but... Um, Look, just use them as an example because I think, you know, they got obviously a pretty significant bailout uh, in the last financial crisis. Um, but let's say they were teetering on the edge. If they were to collapse, that hurts the supply side of the economy. No longer are you able to produce 100,000 cars a day from Detroit, um, which is really effectively um, the wealth generator. We use demand based economic policies because oftentimes we're in an economy that is not limited by how much it can produce. More often than not, uh, companies are limited by how much they can sell rather than how much they can produce. If you're a restaurant owner, it's about how many patrons you can get in, not about how many pasta dishes you can get out. And the same is true for things on most, uh, sorry, most scales, right? It's very rare that you hear of businesses completely selling out. It happens, but it's rare. Uh, and so what is what ultimately is, is a limiting factor is the demand. Here, it is going to be the supply. So it's really important to address that supply side as well. Uh, and this is coming from a, you know, a Keynesian shill, self-confess. You know, I've grown up learning about Keynesian economics for, uh, for you know, basically before I could walk, right? Um, but I think it's really, really important to address that. How they address it? I think it can't be a complete bailout, but I think they're doing it in the right way in the terms of their, their extending loan thing. So eventually they are going to have to pay it back. Uh, but it makes sure that if, if and when things get back to normal, um, we still have that productive capacity to do so. If everything you know gets back to normal and people have a whole lot of extra cash in their pocket, but there are no cars being churned out, there's no uh, you know, airlines flying or anything like that, that money becomes a lot less valuable because you have uh, you know, cost push inflation and demand pull inflation, it's the worst of both worlds. You really need to balance it out in a situation like this. Now, um, I'm more than happy to take criticism for anyone else here. I don't know if anyone has uh, any kind uh, of differing opinions on that. Yeah, 
personally, I don't get why do you think why do you think that if a company fails, like why does this capital stock disappear and you're unable to? Why can't somebody else capture it and start using it again? Because it's, if General Motors goes into bankruptcy proceedings, it doesn't just disappear like its factories, its workers go away, whatever. I think I'll, I'll answer that because I think he, you've missed uh, something with the discussion. And that is uh, when it comes to bankruptcy, uh, there causes a lot of friction between it's, it's mm. so the turnaround time. Uh, isn't instantaneous. We like to think that you know bankruptcy, uh, the free uh, the the free market uh, will instantly capture, you know the that uh, those capital goods and the, the, that equipment. Uh, but in reality, it's it can be a long and drawn out process that you know takes years. Uh, people who specialize in uh, bankruptcy proceedings are, you know, uh, it's a long job. It's it's not something that. Mm-hmm can be done overnight. I wish it could be done overnight. It would make things a lot easier, but at the same time, bankruptcy itself is a complicated uh, matter. And at least here in the U.S. Um, now, well, there. So, so I should just, just real quick. I mean, so, right. So it depends on what we're talking about, right? So if it's it does. bankruptcy, if it's chapter seven, right, then that's that's liquidation, right? Exactly. Chapter 11, that's restructuring. So in the case of bankruptcy uh, for, a, for a chapter 11, where I have to restructure the debt, right, then I can essentially negotiate with my lenders and try and get lower rates, basically say, look, you're not going to get paid back, Mr. Lender, uh, unless, you know, this is a lower rate. So you're going to have to do this or else, you know, you're going to lose value, I'm going to lose value, and all this money is going to waste. But um, uh, to to the point of, uh, I don't, can't really see the name of, it looks like it's uh, his avatar's Ron Paul. It's um, <laughs> Yeah, to to your point, Matthew. Though, um, yeah, no. So if if you, you you don't lose all your value, obviously your assets carry value. Uh, it does depend, though. Like if you if those are leveraged up, and you've you know uh, acquired those on the on the basis of financing, then you know those could be of no value to you. But let's say that you paid that off, then on your balance sheet, those do have some sort of asset value. And somebody can come in and swoop those up and, and acquire you, or they can acquire your personnel. Uh, so yeah, you're right. Things do have value, but um, I think what EE was saying was just in general, the the company itself uh, loses value, not necessarily the assets, because every company always has at least some sort of asset that can be liquidated afterwards. Hmm. Uh, if you're talking about productive compa- capacity, right? Then you're talking about the assets, not about the company itself. Yeah, well, the other thing is um, when we're talking about a, a, a good company, a company that would normally be sort of running well and, um, look, you know, there's probably an argument to be made that, hey, maybe a company that does collapse during these times is a bad company. Um, but, you know, look, I mean, that's a bit – look, it's, it is a one in a you know, hundred-year kind of event. That maybe it's... we could sort of forgive them for, for not seeing coming. Um, and then the other thing is there is sort of this inherent ability for companies – uh, and businesses, what makes businesses and companies, uh, you know, valuable is the sense that they are more than the sum of their parts. So if, you know, General Motors is more than the sum of, you know, um, some steel presses, some foundries and some engine workshops, uh, it has sort of, uh, you know, management structures and supply chain structures that are inbuilt, they're efficient, they're honed, they're, you know, worked out over, um, you know, many, many generations. 
um, to, to create these really efficient systems that produce, you know, products on a you know, timely and efficient manner uh, that's competitive in a market. Uh, and then if you were to just sort of say, okay, well, look, you know, well, fuck you, General Motors, you went bankrupt. Um, let's just sell all your shit. And it doesn't matter because, you know, we still have, you know, we still have 20 steel presses and, you know, 40 foundry factories and, um, you know, maybe, you know, a hundred, a team of a thousand welders or whatever out there. So we should still be, we should still be good to produce stuff, right? Um, that's a very two-dimensional assumption um, in the sense that, yeah, if you do split everything up and kind of redistribute it, sometimes you lose out on that inherent efficiency that's built into the, the greater yeah, network there. The company like went bankrupt by itself. So there was something... It, it was losing value if it if it went bankrupt, right? It, potentially, look in a normal set of circumstances, you would say yes. Yeah. Um, but this might be a situation where, look, uh, hey, there's an argument that should be made that these companies maybe should have had some emergency fund um, yeah. to, in place. Uh, and look, the the vindictive, you know, free market man in me wants to say, yeah, you know what, screw <laughs> you. you. You know, you, you got high and mighty, and, and during the best of times, if anything. You were the guys there on Capitol Hill lobbying for, nah, reduce these restrictions, lower these taxes, keep these loopholes in place. We don't want to worry about this, that, or anything else. Uh, and then as soon as it turns around and things get a bit nasty, they come hat in hand. Oh, please, sir, can I have some more? It feels it would feel really <laughs> great. It would feel really great to tell them where to shove it, right? Yeah. But it's just one of those things where realistically, for the greater good of the economy, uh, unfortunately, at least in the short term, it might not be what's best for the greater good. And they and know that. It's called like moral the, hazard. Like yeah, the, they'll never change. The yeah, you're right. They'll never change. <laughs> they'll never change if you just keep uh, helping them out. I mean, you're just promoting yeah. them to take unnecessary risks. Which is, which is kind of what led us on to the point that I was trying to make earlier. It's really about yeah. how you give them their bailout. If mm. you give it to them and it's like, okay, here's some money. There you go. Have fun. <laughs> um, that's really bad. That's terrible because that means that they're going to be incentivized. They, they are literally incentivized to run the shittiest, riskiest, highest leverage business out there in the world because they know if they're in a central service provider, they're just going to get bailed out. You beauty. Yep. It's like, a, um, but, it's like a young uh, kid who knows he can gamble away his parents' wealth, knowing that his parents are so wealthy that they'll continue to fund his, his uh, you know, escapades. Exactly. Yeah. So what you need to do with this stimulus is you need to make sure um, that it does not benefit senior executives. You know, the kind of people that are making these sort of, um, you know, long-term strategic decisions around how the company should be run. And it shouldn't benefit shareholders because at the end of the day, the buck ultimately stops with them. If I'm investing in a company, that's my vote of confidence that I agree with this, how this company has been run. I agree with, uh, you know, it's corporate governance. I agree with its strategic decision to not keep any cash on hand. Um, and then, you know what? During the good times, I'm going to benefit very heavily from that. I'm going to I'm going to do well. You know, I'm going to get fat dividends. I'm going to see great growth, like we've seen over the last twelve years. Um, but you know, I've got to accept that that is the risk that I'm taking. If I'm taking a highly leveraged position, uh, you know, for myself, and it goes badly, everyone's going to call me an idiot. If I bet on a company that's highly leveraged and it goes bad, everyone's going to say, "Oh, it's so unfair." You know, it was the CEO or the greedy executives. No, 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 no. It was you, the shareholder, because you were the one that accepted that risk. So it can't benefit yeah. them either. Uh, and oftentimes people are seen as like shareholders are seen as this big victim class. It's like, oh, think someone yeah. wants someone. Please think of the oh, pension no. funds and people are going to lose their retirement savings. <laughs> no, no. A vast majority of people that are invested into equities uh, in most countries around the world are, are very, very wealthy people. Uh, like 
like you know, assholes like me and compounded daily, or, or people far wealthier than, than even us, um, that, that, that can afford that you know that can afford to to lose a little bit here and there. Um, you know, we take the risks and we sort of know what what we're um, sort of getting ourselves in for. Um, and I think that it's really unfair that narrative that oh, you know, if, if these companies fail, you know, that's going to hurt it. What it will hurt is the employees. And what it will hurt is, you know, the economy as a, as a whole in the sense that they lose out on that productive capacity and, and the employees lose out on employment. So you need to find a way to keep that productive capacity and keep that yeah. employment, but giving the big middle finger to the uh, shareholders and the executives so that they don't repeat that mistake. And I think there's basically two ways to do that. Uh, you can either, you know, uh, acquire the, the company, you know, force mm -hmm. them to you know, administer stock to you, you know, to, to the sense that maybe you take, you know, uh, a large ownership in the company, which deflates everyone else's value in, in their shares, um, you know, maybe it, it deflates it effectively mm. to nothing. Uh, or the alternative is um, to give them a loan. Um, and now a lot of people see this as slightly less, it doesn't feel quite as good. Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, yeah, screw you, man. Um, but it does effectively the same thing. At the end of the day, if they do get a loan, uh, normally, these kinds of loans are unfortunately going to be like pretty generous terms, you know, low interest rates, very generous repayment periods. But at the end of the day, the money that's been repaid to that loan is money that's not going to be paid to shareholders, not going to be paid to executives. And, well, look, unfortunately, I mean, in the real world, let's be honest, probably not going to be paid to employees. But, um, you know, look, that's where the rose-tinted glasses come off, I suppose. Um but I think, you know, it, it's probably the second best alternative they can take. And, uh, you know, depending on, um, you know, the government in power, it, it might be sort of one of the better things that we can hope for. I don't know. Do you guys' uh, opinions differ on that? That's that's my two cents at least. No, I mean, go ahead. I'm close. I, I agree a lot with what Yee says. Uh, when I looked at, when I uh, was getting my minor in economics, I was also getting uh, my master, or, I'm sorry, uh, my bachelor's in law and policy. Yeah. Uh, and I found it really valuable. One of my ec economics professors kind of went over uh, with us the 2008 uh, crisis and kind of uh, he he was like, OK, we're going to take this. He's like, he's like, uh, we're going to take 10 minutes. He's going to do and he did a rant. He's like, none of this is on a test. He's like, I'm just he's like, I'm literally just ranting. Uh, and he wrote down like all of these, uh, you know, um, these things like the things that we learned about the 2008 uh, crisis and like what we did and what we should have done. And I really want, I wrote them down. I wish I should really go find those, but um, it, when they he can... talking, it just reminded me of, of, of him. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and Matthew, I think you, you kind of probably have a counterpoint to it. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, How do you think we should be handling generally, it? Generally, uh, we should take political realities into consideration when talking about this, right? We want the political elite to punish the rich people who are basically the same people. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, friends, friends and family, like friend, friends, friends, family, and family yeah. people who give each other money, give each other yeah. services, or, and, and also people uh, that are directly invested in it. You know, the average yeah. net worth of a of a U.S. senator is, or an American or American yeah. congressman is, is quite high. So they are effectively exposed to these sorts of markets. Yeah, first of all, no wonders that they get bails every time if that's the case. And second, do you really expect them to punish each other? I mean, it's like it's more like I give you something, you give me something in return. At best, yeah, and I mean, I think that uh, obviously the, the cynic in me would sort of agree with that. Of course, uh, unfortunately, that is that is kind of the reality. And I think, given that, taking that into assumption, um, that's why when we sort of turn around and saw what we got, which is basically loans, uh, hey, at least it's not a direct cash uh, handout. 
Um, so hey, maybe at least the hope, place we can hope for. Well, isn't that isn't that depressing? I mean, sm a smaller pile of shit is preferable to a bigger one. I guess so, unless you're <laughs> uh, unless you're uh, like I don't know uh, what is it, dung beetle. Uh, but anyway, um, all right. So uh, great question, but we will, yeah, yeah, we will look along. Uh, Captain Locks, uh, feel free to, to pick a cookie out of cookie jar. All right. Uh, this is really, it's kind of similar to it. Uh, will many big companies in the U.S. end up with a greater market share from other businesses going bust? This is from uh, Mr. Fro9 on Ooh. YouTube. Could you, That's a good question. Yeah, I actually. Repeat it? Yeah, yeah, hey, would you repeat, repeat the question. It? Yeah. So will many big companies in the U.S. end up with greater market share from other businesses going bust? Yes. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think yeah. you, could see, yeah. you could see the one primary example of that right now is, uh, I don't know if you saw, I think it was just Chapter 11, so it's restructuring. But hypothetically, think that if J. Crew, uh, you know, went to Chapter 7 um, orderly liquidation, then what you would have there is effectively, you know, uh, a part of the kind of preppy clothing market would be uh, would, would be uh, you know w would not be taken up by J Crew right so you would yeah. have the likes of uh, I don't know maybe Ralph Lauren um, gain uh, maybe a, a bigger market share so in general I think you know I keep bringing up the word liquidity but it, I, I think it really comes back to liquidity it's if you've weathered the storm um, you know hopefully fingers crossed you should be fine but. Uh, um, if, uh, you know, if, if, if you can't, then your company can very well go bankrupt. And a lot of that market share, which, which you had, will just be swallowed up by somebody who, uh, is, is, uh, kind of competing in a very similar industry. Uh, I don't know if you have, uh, uh, EE, sorry to kind of jump in on that, but, uh, no, no, I, I think uh, it's it a discussion and I think you're uh, I mean, potentially in the best industry to sort of really sort of directly kind of look at these kinds of examples and potentially kind of deal with them directly and i think um yeah what my um my opinion is is very much in line with yours and for starters of course ah no j crew going out of business where will our interns get their clothes from now um but outside of that um i think one of the one of the greatest ways i sort of think of this is uh of course we're you know we're in the middle of a storm right now and uh does everyone remember that scene in forrest gump where you know he starts the bubble gump fishing company and uh yeah. you know he's an absolute terror he's just useless um, but he yeah. goes out to sea in the middle of a storm and, and he's the only sort of fishing boat that survives the the turmoil. Uh, and then from there, he, uh, you know, becomes this mad successful uh, fisherman. And I think that is, uh, if we want to see sort of a live demonstration of that, uh, that's something on a very, very basic level that, it, that realistically happens. And what we normally will find as well is that smaller institutions, you know, things that are like, let's say, part of, you know, hey, maybe they're just out there on them the, the, by themselves. You know, they don't have sort of a, a holding company that has a, a fleet of other sort of stores uh, in their portfolio. Um, they'll, they'll go out of business first. And what that'll mean is that, these institutions that do have backing by, I don't know, let's say like a, a Berkshire Hathaway or something like that, where, um, you know, they, they can have that sort of cash uh, injection if they need it to, to weather these storms. Um, yeah, they're going to they're gonna really suffer. And then, you know, uh, people that do have that kind of liquidity are going to come out and they're going to have lost all their competition and it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic for them. Um, yeah. So it's a, if I were, yeah. to, if I were to answer the question, right. If, if you, if the big companies are going to get all the, their risks subsidized by the government, then they're going to have a massive uh, advantage over any company that doesn't. So obviously, they're going to grow after this. Yeah, and then once uh, when companies acquire uh, 
it's more of like market share and also just power their ability to leverage uh-huh. all of their um, all facets of, of the company including lobbying um, at which point it's been they just come to dominate uh, the market yeah. and, it, and it doesn't have to be domination in terms of actual like uh, creating a monopoly or a duopoly or you know you can have several yeah, it doesn't have to be a duopoly or a monopoly. Exactly, it can be they, a, be a company powerful. just large enough to the point that like they do have, they can exert control. Um, and a lot of people often, with especially within business, we often don't talk about uh, the political element of yeah. of business because we kind of think of business as oh, it's separate from politics, it's separate from social issues, it's separate from from society as a whole. It's like business does its own thing. In reality. <laughs> Society is, you know, inter- is very intermixed. It's society. I think of it like society. a separate, separate uh, compartments that just isolated from each other. They do. Intermixed. Si- they do. They do think of it in siloed terms. Um, when, in reality, um, the most effective way to, uh, I mean, the reason why uh, you know businesses lobby is because they understand how their role in, in society. They understand the power that they exert. Um, and they might not fully understand it, or they might be, you know, uh, decide to ignore uh, some, like, say, ethical issues about the usage of their power. But at the end of the day, they understand that they, they do have power and they understand how to exert that power. Um, and the average person really doesn't have that. And so I, it can, for the average person, it can feel like they have no power. Well, for, for, for the case of discussion, I want to kind of provide a, uh, an alternative take on all of this, right? So. Um, there, there are people in Washington, uh, representatives oftentimes elected with uh, little to no professional background, and uh, they don't know too much about a lot of these uh, uh, different companies and the industries that they work in, all the nuances applied to them. I mean, shoot, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the healthcare industry and healthcare investment banking, and I, I mean, I still don't know. <laughs> Feels like I don't know anything about it because there's just so much to know about it. So these what we call lobbyists, special interest groups, not only, you know, can, can they be corrupt? Absolutely. They can be very bad, but can they also be used as educators to help, um, uh, uh, you know, our congressmen and women uh, learn about particular things that could affect their industry? Absolutely as well. So just wanted to provide yeah. kind of an alternative point. So, you know, uh, it didn't sound like uh, it was just, oh, you know, special interest bad. Oh. Yeah, I wouldn't say special interests is bad. Um, they can you know. be good as and bad, but you know, it's very good. Taking money from some and giving to others—that's that's a big problem. It just so happens that that normally, um, yeah. I mean, I suppose uh, ultimately the the argument is is pretty strong. It's it's pretty easy to make the argument that um, the this, this special interest group tends to be. Uh, it doesn't tend to be educating people on the plight of the poor, though. Uh, it tends to be educating people on, uh, you know, Light things that, w- yeah, you know, how, uh, you know, things that just so happen to benefit the rich, uh, the, the, that can afford to pay uh, the salaries of lobbyists, um, which isn't always a bad thing. And Daly Daily sort of made a great point that, you know, oftentimes people do need to, to turn to these sort of, um, you know, people that are there to educate. Uh, alternatively, look, what I would say is hey, potentially, potentially bring on board, uh, you know, specialists or cabinet members that have been employed in that industry and they can give that oversight so you're not getting it sort of secondhand from someone that has, uh, you know, 
let's be honest, ul- ulterior motives. Um, but hey, I don't know that. Maybe that. Maybe that's just me. Uh, maybe that's the cynic in me. But um, yeah, I, I think that is still an effective point for for communication there as well. And it is a good one that you know it's not. Uh, it's never fair to assume that one thing automatically equals bad. Uh, if that is something, if you assume that something uh, automatically equals bad, uh, you know, lobbyists equal bad, uh, and they still exist in the modern world, well, um, normally at least there's some kind of argument to the other side and yeah. or, or something that's overlooked. Yeah, there, uh, there is. Yeah. Apart, from, apart from people arguing for anti-vax, they're, they're just dumb. I, I don't want to stay on this topic too long because I know we're get, getting into, you know, the special interest a little off topic, but to bre- provide some mm-hmm. kind of anecdotal, during during this crisis, uh, one of the, the, probably one of the biggest sufferers are community hospitals and rural community hospitals specifically, um, who've had required that they can't take in any patients. And, you know, they, EE talking to our point earlier, um, they're one of those kind of companies or organizations that doesn't really, uh, generate you know these big profit margins right so they're barely scraping by to begin with so when they can't fill their beds then they can't make any sort of or i mean their their profit margins immediately just uh kind of get pushed to you know huge huge losses which is great that because they can carry that over on you know their tax returns for the next couple of years but it's bad in the sense like how are we going to survive now so we've had to reach out to um uh lobbyists who've had connections with these politicians in order uh, to see what we can do for these community hospitals. Because if if they go south and if they go bankrupt, then, you know, somebody living, Joe Schmo living in, in you know, a rural community in uh, Illinois, let's say, uh, can't have access to any sort of healthcare service. And after this is all said and done. So that's just, yeah. that's just one way to look at it from the alternative. Isn't that a great isn't that a great real world example of exactly what we were talking about earlier? You know, these companies that you're like, oh yeah, they should have had an emergency fund. Well, here we go. Community hospital, stuff like that. Um, yeah, something that, you know, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't disappear. Uh, you know, the hospital right, is still but, a building and the people working there are still there. Right. But remember, okay. So Matthew, uh, the one thing you have to understand about uh, like bankruptcy is that it's just people have the inability to use cash. Like that's what really bankruptcy is. It's just the drying up of cash. Yeah. And so the you know the uh, the hospital in theory could just continue to run. They won't be able to pay mm-hmm. anybody. Exactly. So, I mean, they could just kind uh, of. I don't mean doctors wouldn't get paid, and their doctors would be very unhappy, and their doctors would yeah. protest. They wouldn't show up if they're not getting paid. Uh, that's so. not the point. The point is that okay. so, uh, somebody else runs this thing. Sure. Sure. It takes a very sort of picture, like this, this very sort of rosy picture of, you know, economic assumptions that, you know, uh, if there's a profit motive, instantly there will be a doctor that wants to move to, no. to bumfuck nowhere in the middle of Illinois to, to fill that position because, you know, the one resident doctor moved out because yeah. there was no right. work, uh, which may not actually sort of be the case. Hey, maybe there'll be a profit motive and eventually yeah, it'll yeah. get there, but there is still sort of that lapse. And, and you are right. Uh, Long term, you are absolutely right. We're not agreeing yeah. with you there. We're just sort of saying in the medium term, it can really, it can really suck. Um, right. But I mean, uh, long let's long not get into as long as people think it's more like three to five years. Right. Yeah, it's long term. Three, three to five years without a, a local hospital. Yeah, you can wait. You don't need uh, a whole hospital for people. You can have like. It, well, there's a reason why it's a community hospital. It's because it's not profitable. It's for oftentimes it's not profitable to begin with. Or even if it is, it's barely profitable. So they have to use their tax revenues to subsidize it. 
So well, if you're gonna fund something, then it's of course gonna not gonna be profitable. <sighs> anyway, just um, anyway, anyway, um, so. we. Yeah, we. Yeah, we don't want to get into the to the uh, the too much so, of this the spiral again. I think I, I, just, I think it's a great conversation. It's just. I just sorry, want to point ahead. out it's forty. We're at forty-eight minutes oh, for the live stream. We've answered two questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah we are going uh, deeper than usual. <laughs> yeah, we are. That is yeah. true. Which is good. I mean, it's good. It's a bit of more back and forth. Uh, normally, how yeah. these go is I just go on a diatribe for like uh, <laughs> ten minutes, and then everyone's like, "Yep, yeah, sounds good." All right, next question. Then. Sounds good. Uh, next question. <laughs> All right. no, um, no one even no one even remember even i don't actually remember when question? i start answering a question uh, i don't remember what i was that i was answering the, question, by the, well, oh, the original question was will many big companies in the u.s end up with greater market that was that's oh that yeah, was yeah the yeah. last question we answered and look where we've gotten so so the answer is no they won't but but some poor community hospitals will so there you go you got an answer <laughs> to a question you didn't even ask. Uh, i think cool. all right yeah all right, next uh, question. So, yeah, yeah next question. From, that's that's from the answer, Lord yeah. of the Flies, both on YouTube and on uh, Discord. Are there alternatives to economic stimulus or a centralized government response when it comes to responding to financial crises? Well, uh, yeah. They're, they're like, there there is. are. Yeah. Yeah, as, yeah. A, as a little bit eccentric uh, point of view, there's some anarcho Keynesians that wants, uh, like, they want this not to be done by the government, but by people just doing it naturally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is very yeah. amusing to me. Yeah, it take, and, uh, people, average person takes social responsibility for their decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, read the work of people like Hayek, and you know, he advocates yeah. basically, you know, what, look, just let it run free. Um, let, let's see what it happens. Eventually, you know, the economy will work itself out. Hey, if companies do go bankrupt right now, it's going to suck for a few years, but hopefully, in you know, ten years' time, they'll remember this. They'll keep some cash on hand. Um, and it's sort of more of a kind of shifting it to a, to a, like a capitalist sort of system. Um, and I think that the, the big thing there is uh, absolutely, there's absolutely nothing stopping the government saying, no, nope, you sort your own problems out. We're, we're, we're done with you. Uh, but it's going to do, it's going to have a few negative sort of uh, implications. One thing is it will make the good times uh, very, very good. And that will mean that, you know, hey, if people are sort of still paying low tax rates or whatever it may be, and they can access credit cheaply, they're going to rack up a lot of debt, they're going to get used to a certain quality of life. And when bad times come around, um, you know, if, if we're living in a sort of a debt-based, consumption-based economy, those bad times will come around, um, they're going to be very, very bad. And they're going to be far deeper and longer than if we sort of had these sort of stabilizing figures where we kind of controlled the good mm. times to, to make the bad times a little bit less, uh, less bad. Uh, and then, of course, the net aggregate result of that is of course then um, you have a bit more stability in an economy if we go from uh you know uh, the roaring 20s to the great depression every 10 years uh that's going to be really really destabilizing for a lot of people and it's going to make people very uneasy about investing in anything longer than a 10-year time horizon it's going to make people uneasy about you know uh, picking a career path it's going to make people uneasy about you know building a house or, or raising a family in an economy yeah, yeah. Uh, which is which is all very important to actually sort of generally kind of uh, that long-term growth trajectory. Um, so, uh, but uh, there are arguments to be made to the contrary. I mean, that's my that's my very you know that's my Keynesian shill showing again. Um, so I yeah, do just know what you guys think. I don't think uh, Hayek would agree on the uh, business cycle theory. Yeah, yeah, I'm not big on the business cycle uh, theory, honestly. Uh, Keynesian one. No, just well, the nature of the 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 idea of a, a business cycle um, huh. itself. I 
it's not that you know i find it i do find it valuable uh mm -hmm. as a argument and as a model but um i like to do then take it and adapt it uh further uh because no. i don't think it i don't think it describes enough i don't think it's uh anyway that's a side thing the federals <laughs> are ending all business cycles you know and they'll just they'll just be there to to, to prop things up if things get bad just don't have money inflation <laughs> yeah <laughs> but actually, it's all returned uh, to sticks and stones yeah as a as a side uh, as, 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 as an aside to that um uh, so to answer the question directly i mean it's pretty simple that yes yeah absolutely we don't need stimulus you know um we can sort of tell them to to go live with it and that's fine um but um i think the um you know the, the big takeaways there it, it it does cause sort of more inherent instability. Oh. Uh, but um, one question I do want to ask is, especially on the business cycle theory, because uh, it's one of those ones that there's, you know, the arguments we made for or against it actually being sort of a, a well-grounded theory is, uh, do you think the idea, you know, this, this, this thing that people have in the back of their minds, you know, financiers, investors, um, you know, all of the kind of people that kind of get to pull the strings of the economy have this idea that, ah, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, we're, we're overdue for a recession. We need a recession now. It's been, it's been 20, you know, it's been 10 years since we've had our last recession. It's been 20 mm -hmm. years since we've had our last recession. Do you think that's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy? So that when we are 12 yeah. years away from the last recession and some, you know, sort of minor inconvenience happens, everyone goes, oh my God, it's 2008 again, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. for every seller, there's a buyer, right? So it's balance out. Thanks. Um, not. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I get what you're saying because, uh, you know, I've had colleagues that have said, you know, oh, I'm, I'm preparing for this next downturn. Um, you know, we're getting ready to to do restructurings or uh, thirteen with cash flow management, and you know, um, to to me, yeah, I, I, I feel like it's a self fulfilling prophecy. I also don't necessarily. Uh, disagree with the idea of business cycles uh, not existing at all. I think maybe we'll start to see them kind of prolonged instead of, you know, your typical 10-year oh. business cycle. Uh, so, uh, but I definitely think that they need to happen. For example, um, there's when, when there's enough waste and inefficiency uh, just in the system right now, for example, you can go to, let's say, San Francisco, um, and you could quickly build a pitch deck in 30 minutes, and you can get VC funding. Um, obviously, I'm uh, hyperbolizing that, but, uh, you know, VC funding is a lot easier to get uh, a lot in part due to ample, uh, uh, ample dry powder in the investment space. But um, oh. in, in uh, San Francisco, you can get uh, plenty of VC funding. But, uh, you know, I think that's the waste that needs to be flushed out the inefficiency, right? Um, but of course, there's, uh, there's an argument to be made, well, could we prevent any sort of business cycles altogether? So Right, and and I think uh, actually the other question is that we didn't answer is um, okay. Well, look, one alternative is actually to do nothing. Um, but is there any sort of alternative to deal with uh, addressing the problems of an economic downturn without resorting to uh, stimulus checks and stuff like that? Um, so, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Are there any alternatives there? Austerity. It's been done in Australia in the '30s, and it's worked very well. Uh -huh. uh, are you talking any alternatives? That's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, alternative and exclusively non-public alternative, like non-governmental alternative. Uh, no, it can, it can be government. It can be government based, oh, but it can't not, involve. It can't. It, it can't involve. It can't involve giving people money. It can't involve giving businesses money, or it can't involve giving oh, like people cuts, money. I guess. 
from like free yeah. mom. Dax goes, yeah. that, that would be that would be giving money in, in a sense. Um, yeah. Uh, well, it's not the same. It's just not taking money, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not taking as same, much money. Same, yeah. same net result. Yeah, yeah, yeah I suppose. Um, uh, but are we including charities on that? <laughs> yeah, you can't, can't give money to anybody. Hey, no, no one, no one gets it. <laughs> 51 uh, minutes in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot he was here. My goodness gracious. He's just starting. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, oh, we're, well, the rest of us, we're all covering it. He's like, I, I got nothing well, to say. He's, he's, busy, uh, he's busy building his Belt and Road right now. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if there would be any alternative, a non-cash-based alternative that would um, be, you know, effective at any sort of stimulus like this. So and there are, I've read, there's this book, uh, it's great, it's called Crisis Economics. Um, and it was written after um, the 2008 uh, crisis, but it goes into the history of um, of financial crashes and also just, you know, uh, recessions and, and really talks about uh, what caused them and what came out of it. How, how did they get, how did they get out of it? Um, so I'm flipping through it, trying to see if I can just magically stumble across something that didn't involve spending. Because I definitely remember that there are alternatives to just uh, giving people money or in this case. Well, yeah. While, while you're looking to that, uh, Rathi, why don't you run us through the, the mechanics of austerity? Well, oh, now you put me on the spotlight. Uh, nah, hey, you're the one up. that proposed it. You got you to back up now, come on. Oh, well, it is basically allow things to restructure because the 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 buzz doesn't come from the fact that you don't have enough demand it's just there's there's never a not enough demand it's just that people don't want what you're offering so you need to restructure the capital uh, restructure the capital structure to produce things that people actually want in that thing yeah like you can uh, rather than ha like when you have a housing boom and then bust you you stop building houses you start building different things and that that's what's a recession. Oh, Birdie is telling me, right? The problem with uh, over leveraging, it wouldn't happen if you didn't have essentially lowering of interest rates because you agree that the bus are like this risk is caused by over leveraging and stuff. Yeah. Well, in a free market, the interest rate is higher, so people cannot over leverage themselves because there's not just not enough lending around. Yeah, well, I think that's an interesting one, and especially when we look yeah. at... Because, um, I mean, the basic function is that um, interest rates are actually uh, not a fantastic sort of uh, driver of economic growth. No, they're uh, not. No, realistically, they're very, very good at controlling things like inflation, uh, but it's not the right tool for, for economic growth. Um, you know, they help a little bit, but it's, it's more of a side effect rather than the, their sort of primary kind of function. Um, and I, it's an interesting discussion to have, and I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. Keep in mind, obviously, yeah, apparently there's two investment bankers in this chat, and um, someone that doesn't want to speak because he's, you know, too busy <laughs> running a despotic country. So, um, you know, look, obviously, maybe we're a little bit jaded on this, but what would you sort of say to the idea that maybe interest rates go back to um, where they were 20 years ago? You know, kind of, Oof. you know, reserve bank rates of you know five percent. People getting home yeah. loans that were around the seven to eight percent mark. That seems um, reasonable. Do you think that would be good, or do you think that would be bad, uh, short term, you know, long term? That would mean there was. I mean, according to I, I want to see it. I just want to see yeah. it uh, and live it and experience it. I feel like that would give me more insight into it than just. Well, I mean, I've, like I read on 
historical stuff about what it was like then. But today, you know, the low interest rates are just such a norm for me that I'm, 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 one, I'm kind of afraid to go to go back to higher interest as, rates. As far as I understand it, that would mean there's no more over leveraging that would essentially end the business cycle as we know it. It doesn't necessarily mean that there'd be over leveraging. Uh, you could take on more debt at a lower interest rate technically, but yeah, you uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in, in general, um, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's worth trying it. I think it'd be experimental. I think, you know, macro trends, um, kind, kind of suggest that let's say, you know, what has the S and P 500 returned nine at 9.8% for the past hundred years on average. Uh, if you control for whether or not there was a low interest rate environment or not, I don't think that there's, uh, any way to distinguish whether, you know, uh, they're a term based on the, uh, interest rate environment. Now, obviously that's, that's market growth. That's not economic growth. Um, but do I personally think that you could see kind of on a, on a short term impact, I don't know if there would really be an observable impact. But you know, if, if somebody's uh, mortgage that they were paying at the interest rate was, uh, you know, an extra two three points higher, um, I think that you would start to see that realized over time. I don't know what they're doing with that additional money. I would suppose that they're probably spending it. Um, but you know, I I think that that sort of micro impact might have an impact. Now, how much that compares to you know spending in general, I'm, I'm sure it's fractional, but. Uh, I, I, I personally don't know. Um, again, I'm not an economist. Um, yeah. the, 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 that particular portion and how much impactful that would be. Yeah, and it's an interesting point that you make with the, uh, the extra income from having cheaper interest rates, which is kind of this, this fable that people tell of, oh, you know, look, if, if interest rates are lower, I'm going to save up some money in my budget. And uh, short term, sure, if there's an interest rate cut and people you know, or on variable interest rates on their home loans or whatever it may be, um, you know, and it does get passed along to them, let's say, they might free up an extra, you know, 100 bucks a month or whatever it may be. Um, but I think, you know, short term, of course, maybe that gets spent and recirculated. And, oh, isn't that fantastic? It's, it's stimulating economic growth. Long term, I think what it means, though, is um, people don't spend on extra goods and things. They spend it on getting bigger mortgages to buy bigger houses or yeah. outbidding one another, um, which means that it, if, it, if anything just sort of drives up, it, it just drives inflation in uh, asset classes that tend to be purchased with debt, most, most notably, of course, real estate, which tends to be the asset class that is purchased with debt. Uh, I don't know many people that, that would even consider buying a house without getting a loan it's a, on it's it. A, it's a whole uh, fallacy of... Um... You know, I can I get more bang for my buck because if people don't, you know, uh, take out a loan and, and ultimately uh, they might pay, you know, smaller interest on uh, the loan, but they'll just take out more loans just to yeah. return back to just where increasing price or increase yeah. quantity. It's just yeah. uh, well, if you uh, get a bigger house, let's say at a lower interest rate, and the houses all across your neighborhood, whether or not you got the cheap house or the expensive house, appreciate at the same rate. Which, by the way, I'm putting that into a very kind of very uh, um, uh, housing never goes down. <laughs> housing housing never goes down. Right. <laughs> That's never the case. But assuming they appreciate at the same rate, then you know, of course, having the lower interest rate and the the more equity growing into the more expensive house might actually be better for the consumer. Hmm. 
But but the net effect is that uh, more people are going to have houses that are a, that the repayments constitute a larger portion of their income. That's right. When we, yeah. when we assume that um, housing doesn't actually generate anything, so having more valuable housing is not like having more uh, factory equipment or anything. It doesn't actually generate more income for the economy. It just sort of sits there and it provides it provides shelter to people. That's its raw function. That's um, right. If yeah. you're talking about wages staying primarily stagnant, um, it's it's obvious to sort of see that the thing that's really driving house prices at a foundational level is that debt is cheaper to acquire. Lending yeah. is more liberal these days, and that means that people that are on sixty thousand dollars today can borrow more than people that were on sixty thousand dollars, you know, even at the start of the two thousands, let's say, mm -hmm. um, just because you know interest rates are lower and the the awesome. calculations that uh, are lower than they they facilitate it. Um, whereas if I think if it, if you're up towards that seven percent on paper, it kind of looks like people are going to be struggling a little bit more. But what it does mean is that people just aren't allowed to borrow as much, and collectively, you know. Houses are are a function of demand. That means that less people are willing and, more importantly, able to buy a house at a million dollars. So the price just isn't going to be a million dollars anymore. Uh, and that mm -hmm. means that the actual net debt um, is a lower portion of people's income, which I think would be uh, a good thing. I think um, there's, yeah. there's a really strong argument to be made for, you know what, we've had fun with our, our negative interest rates and all this kind of shit, but it's back to reality now. Um, you know, learn to control your borrowing. Mm -hmm. yeah, like I did find the uh, benefit find from saving that answers the crisis uh, when the person asked about uh, alternatives that don't involve economic stimulus or centralized government responding to financial crisis. But the financial crisis in question is a banking run, which is few and far between. I mean, these days, yeah. Um, I mean, with, with central wait, wait, hey, just a side yeah. comment, would you call the 2008 a, a, a a glorified bank run. Uh, well, it was a liquidity crisis in a sense, yeah. I suppose. Um, but of course, um, you know, I think it was more a failing of of the central tenant of what the central bank was there to to do, which is provide liquidity to to banks in distress. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't well, because people were madly running to withdraw their money, oh, yeah. which, is, which yeah. is what typically associate with a banking run. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, hey, maybe. Um, but I think it was more them blowing up their balance sheets rather than their banking sheets. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting sort of. Uh, so I, do, the system. I do have the Keep story, the but this, granted, this is a story uh, from uh, 1907 <laughs> and it involves JP Morgan. So the early 20th century saw its share of panics. The crisis of 1907 began in, in the United States after a speculative boom in stock and real estate collapse. Mm, 1907. Look at that. Uh, so called trust companies, lightly regulated commercial banks bound together by complicated chain of ownerships. Mm, look at that. Uh, suffered runs on their reserves and panic spread throughout the country. Stock market crashed and the crisis spiraled out of control. The nation's most powerful banker, J.P. Morgan, convened a series of emergency meetings with New York's uh, city's banking established to stop a bank run. On the first weekend of November, Morgan, in a famous act of brinkmanship, invited the bankers to his private library. When they failed to agree to come to one another's aid, he locked them in a room and pocketed the key. The bankers eventually agreed, and the crisis came to an end shortly thereafter. While Morgan received credit for averting the catastrophe, the events of 1907 persuaded many that the need for a central bank to provide lender of last resort support in future crises. Uh, and six years later, <sighs> the Federal Reserve was born. That's the end of that story. Uh, Federal Reserve, what? founding of the Federal Reserve is a very interesting story. 
yeah. and not one that we have time for. <laughs> yeah. For the love of God, please, we're not talking about modern monetary theory or anything like that. Uh, no, I don't um, mean modern monetary theory. I'm on, like, uh, the creature from Jekyll Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, I mean, there, there, there is a lot of interesting things that we talk about. It's, it's a uh, landmine of make sure you pack your tinfoil hats. Um, yes. But, it is probably, it is something, but, but to be honest, uh, it will be just such a departure from what we're, uh, we're looking at. I think, I, think it's, I think it's time Maybe to... Maybe the next report. time, you know. Yeah, I think it's time to pull a new question out, Locke. Please. Oh, okay. Quickly, do it. All right. All oh, right, it's all right. free now after an hour. All right. Uh, oh, this is related to a couple from past videos. Uh, mm. What are some strategies nations can use to prevent tax evasion, such as Poland and Denmark refusing bailouts to tax evaders? So you could answer that question. There's. You want me to read off another one? Just you can uh, kind of. I mean. Look, I, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't think there's too much to discuss with this. There's, there's yeah. a few ways that is a few yeah. ways that you can do it. Um, you can make sure that your laws are written in such a way that they can't be circumnavigated. And um, you know, look, obviously there are incredibly intelligent people out there mm -hmm. that spend uh -huh. their entire lives figuring out figuring out ways to circumnavigate these laws. And you know what? It's effectively an arms race between policymakers and policy breakers <laughs> to, to figure out. Yep. Um, you know who's going to come up with the the you know most mischievous creative way to get get around these sorts of things. Um, so if you make policies that you know, hey, revenue from your nation gets taxed in your nation, that's one way of doing it. And a lot of times there are sort of um, these uh, there's these sort of allowances that are made to let's say international companies because um, they kind of want companies to go out there into an international market and be competitive so they sort of say oh well if you you know if you're going out there and you're being competitive in a global market you know and you do get taxed outside uh, maybe we won't tax you here and that's just because we want you to want you to be good and grow and employ more people back at hq and all of that sort of stuff and that makes sense and that's what they sort of write off the back of uh unfortunately what that normally means is um, well, okay, cool. We're gonna we've we've paid our taxes in Panama, and it really hurt paying that zero percent tax. Um, oh. And 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 now you go, oh, okay. Well, shit. I suppose we did say that you could pay your taxes abroad. All right. Well, effectively, you paid your zero percent taxes abroad. I guess we can't tax you here. So it's not really like they're illegally dodging the system. They're just really, really stretching it, um, which is what people get paid to do. Um, so I think that's the first thing. You got to plug those loopholes, and then of course you've actually got to enforce them. Uh, well, and it's, it's arguable if you don't want it or not. Yeah, I was I was just gonna say it's complicated, right? Because you you could have a loophole that exists. Let's say you know you uh, take your earnings and some sort of capital gains, um, and instead of uh, you know income, right? So obviously you, you pay less on the capital gains, but you know if you uh, had any sort of way to, I guess uh, you say, all right, you know what? We're going to treat capital gains tax the same way we're going to treat income. Well, now you have an, an adverse impact, right? An, an, an impact you didn't want. So now people are going to be preferring more so incomes than than stock options, maybe uh, misaligning incentives with their shareholders, um, because a lot of shareholders want to see that their executives take stock options for, uh, you know, to make sure that their their interests are aligned with the uh, with the, the the executives and the, and the shareholders. So. Um, it's not easy. To, uh, long story short, taxes yeah. are never neutral, and you always we have disrupt the economy. Next question. Right? Next yeah, hundred percent. But uh, that's that's basically the way. Make sure you're enforcing the laws, and make sure that people can't get around your laws, and you're yeah. golden. Actually doing that, unbelievably difficult. But good question. I, I like that anyway. <laughs> yep. Here, here's Next another question. thing related to yeah. regulation. It's easier uh, said than done. It's from Phoenix. How effective would government regulations mandating how leveraged a business can be in a would how sorry in this 
so sorry, the way they write it, uh, how effective would government regulations mandating how leveraged a business can be in averting a uh, financial crisis like this in the future? And if mm. you, so I think what they're trying to say is, I yeah, if, you, if you have like a, you want to hear compound, you want to, you want to state it? Yeah. So how effective would government regulations uh, mandating how leveraged a business can be in averting a financial crisis like this in the future? Uh, how effective would those be? I think is the question. Yeah, but the, it, uh, mainly it would be talking about like having a pool of money, having exactly. cash reserves. Uh, uh, maybe uh, cash reserved. Uh, how how effective would it be? You know, I, I really like that question because I I think it plays into a lot of the mechanics of of how kind of finance works, profitability, um, in in really the kind of the problem with with this altogether. Um, I don't know if you want to take a jab at this first, but um. Yeah, I will. Uh, well, I will say that uh, I, I I think that they would be great in averting uh, these types of crises. Uh, oh, wow. I'm not an economist myself, and so I when when it comes up to say, well, we should allocate capital the most efficiently, uh, and I would say, well, this is the most efficient uh, in, in my in my view, looking at the historical record and just the number. If I of, may, right? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just I just don't agree with the question with the premise of the question because. It's like left hand is trying to restrain the right hand because yeah, it's it is, the government yeah. that supplies all these cheap loans, right? Well, it's like you're trying to regulate something that is caused by government itself. Well, so I, think, than, I think I think he's talking more specifically like bank leverage. So um, because yeah. the Federal Reserve is, is 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 I mean, so if I'm a company, uh, you know, and if I'm looking to get, let's say, a line of credit, I'm going to go out to maybe a bank in order to, to, to get that line of credit. Right. Uh, in the back end, maybe the Federal Reserve works with the bank to kind of, uh, you know, manage the, uh, you know, with with open market operations, try and manage the interest rates by buying, uh, you know, treasuries and, and help banks maintain liquidity through quantitative easing. Uh, but just in general, these companies are being provided liquidity uh, through through or I'm sorry, leverage through banks. And t in my my take on all of this is I think it's very tricky um, how effective. I don't think it will ha ever happen because um, what private equity realized. And so uh, the industry out there, private equity and in short, you can think of it kind of like a home loan. So um, you have a, you raise a pool of fund with a bunch of investors. Uh, and you use some of that fund to acquire a company, let's say 40%, and then you purchase the additional 60% with debt or leverage, right? So in order to be able to acquire these companies, you, you really need to get as much leverage as you can so you can maximize that share, that return to your shareholders. Use the profitability from the company to pay down the debt, and you have an arbitrage opportunity. You could you know, sell, and I hate to use that word, it's not really an arbitrage, but you sell that yeah. company for... Uh, um, you don't even have to grow it after you just pay down the leverage kind of like a house you can just sell uh -huh. that company for maybe what you bought it for um and so the what this goes into is i don't think that regulation would allow that to happen because one thing about private equity is they're very savvy on k street um and what going back they're very good lobbyists um uh and so i, I in 2008 there was actually a cap put on bank leverage in terms of how much banks themselves could lend. So you saw kind of the the rise of non-traditional bank lenders and uh, non uh, you know these debt funds that would go out and raise money so that they could fill the gaps where uh, our banks would would typically lend in the first place. Uh, so uh, 
no. But I think to get to your point, how effective would government regulations be? I don't know. And I think it could be effective in managing something like this. Um, you know, obviously in finding how much leverage, it's always a topic of conversation of whether or not, um, you know, private equity companies should be able to, or any company should be able to take on a certain amount of leverage or not. Um, ideally that, that risk is baked into the interest rate. Um, sometimes it's not, but you know, from, from working in my industry, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I've ran across too many underwriters that put a, like, oh my gosh, this is insane in terms of what a good deal interest rate that we've had. Um, but, uh, how effective would it be? I, I don't know. Um, I, 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 so as a, po yeah. as a person who's site law and policy, um, I can attest that it would be both effective and ineffective. Everything with government I've seen is there's been good times and bad times. Um, the book that I uh, read from earlier actually does cover uh, some of the policies um, that governments have employed in the past and what they did recently in the 2008 uh, crisis. Um, and it highlights, you know, some of the ones that were good. And then it also highlights some of the ones that were just dog awful. They were just should not have been employed. They should not have been, uh, you know, they should have never left the drawing board, uh, let alone be written into law. So. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's an interesting question. Um, in a perfect world, I, I would say, yeah, um, sure. You know, especially companies that are like, if it's like a, let's say a private company or something like that, um, you know, let's say an individual mom and pop shop or, or whatever it may be, a sole trader, um, maybe not, you know, maybe sort of let them do their thing um, because they're not, if they go bust, well, look, it's not really going to affect anyone. But as soon as you have over, let's say like, I don't know, maybe maybe based on employees or, or things like that, um, then sure, you know, I think it's, it's you know, we regulate sort of the, the capital requirements or we did regulate the capital requirements of banks and things like that. Um, so why doesn't that extend to, especially, you know, companies like, you uh, Maybe you extend it to just publicly traded companies. Um, who knows? Of course, there are a lot of inefficiencies. There's a lot of lobbying that would go against it because it, it does really sort of tune down the possibilities for fantastic profits. Um, but just the same, it, it effectively probably smooths out the, the how hard hit they're going to be by you know things like crises like this. Uh, it's a really well, interesting question. I, I like that one because there mm -hmm. is a lot to pull yeah. apart from it. Yeah, there's already 151 organization like regulating financials, the financial system. I don't think we don't have enough. We don't have enough. <laughs> we want the 152nd, you know, yeah, it's going to save it. I'll by, found it. I'll found by it. By golly, that, that, that 152, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to make the difference boys. Um, also yeah, <laughs> in the private chat, I've posted uh, a link to. Yeah. Oh, I, would, I was going to say, you, you have the source for that because it's hard to read the, the because they use red twice both for uh for double a oh. uh and for junk bonds or, or for the uh, uh triple c uh I'm sorry so but I, I can't remember where i got it from okay yeah well i'm just i was googling it uh myself right yeah. now but uh somebody in the live comments asked who are the other creators on this stream uh nobody there's only one other creator on the stream other than ee and that's compound it's daily it's Xi. Yes. Xi makes good memes. Ah, uh, yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, uh, he has, he's the meme meme lord. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, we, can, we can briefly interrupt, uh, in, interrupt, introduce all of you guys, which is probably something <laughs> we, we should have done an hour and fifteen yeah. minutes ago. But well, that's uh, 
Um, uh, but no, I, mean, I mean, I'm economics explained. I am uh, a financier and uh, a graduate economist that uh, makes internet videos for, for you guys to enjoy, but I think you all know that. Um, Compound Daily, you introduce yourself and we'll go to Captain Locke. So sure. Go on. Uh, so Compounded Daily, I'm an investment banker uh, and uh, I don't don't like plugging myself because this isn't my stage, but uh, I sometimes make <laughs> videos. So go to yeah. Matt. What, what, what's uh, what's the channel called? It is Compounded Daily, right? It's Compounded Daily. Uh, just uh, pretty much any sort of curiosities. You know, I, in in when I was an undergrad, I liked using After Effects, so I started animating videos and wanted to apply that to some things that I was learning. So uh, you know, work on just uh, it's interesting topics, just financial education topics, uh, and so. Um, try and stay out of that personal finance stuff. I think that there's a little bit too much of that on YouTube. So I try and do the, yeah. you know, why things work yeah. on the corporate finance side. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm tough. Captain Locke. Um, I am a math teacher. I have a master's in finance and uh, I am one of the senior mods on the Discord for Economics Explained. Raphael, you can go first. I am Raphael. I am a 70 year old. Uh, Automatic students and seven year old, my hobby. 17 year old, 17. Yeah, yeah, the youngest year. Economics is my hobby. Yeah, <laughs> we, need that. we need that youthful angst, it's coming handy on this stream. <laughs> and yeah, she is, am... uh, she's a despotic world leader who occasionally <laughs> comes on, <to> it. <laughs> yeah, just occasionally. It's it's a fun little side hobby I have, and, and a Manchester City fan. <laughs> no, wait, do you want to introduce, introduce yourself seriously? Yeah, uh, um. I, I study in a master's of uh, economics, uh, did my undergrad in commerce uh, with an award maker in finance and Actually, like, economics. This feels like one of those uh, shows where they, like, where do you live? <laughs> it's like yeah. Alcoholics Anonymous, but I make some other things. My name is Economics Explained and I'm an economist. Hi, <laughs> economics explained. I've been uh, with right. the show for seven years now. I am addicted to stimulus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Right. I like that. Uh, anyway, all all jokes aside. Oh, I do. Uh, I do want to kind of announce how this is all going to work. So, you know, a couple of people are saying, "Are we always going to be doing uh, this?" Uh, so, we're going to rotate in and out. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're going to bring on, you know, sort of uh, interesting, interesting people, and um, you know, stuff to. So hopefully, it'll be you know a, a new roster of people, and you know, some familiar faces, some new people every sort of week, um, just to sort of discuss it. You know, if we have people that are specifically, um, you know, engaged in a particular field, like let's say Compounded Daily or, or Captain Locker, um, or actually everyone here on this on the stream today, sort of have specific exposure to. Um, you know, the topic at hand. Uh, so they give us sort of a different perspective. perspective. Um, that's sort of what we kind of want to do. And that's how we'll be doing the Q&A sessions from now on. Uh, so you still have the uh, the ability to answer your questions, but it's going to be answered by a, a more diverse panel rather than me uh, sort of going on for a 10-minute spiel only to be broadly interrupted by people mouth-breathing into their microphones. <laughs> so uh, Maria also sort of asked, uh, you need a female. Well, yeah. unfortunately... <laughs> I mean, look, I, I agree with you. Unfortunately, like if we look at the analytics of my channel, it's it's ninety five percent male between the ages of like <laughs> twenty and forty. Um, <laughs> it, it, right it, here, hey, guys. 
I, I agree with you. Um, hey, look, if you want to, if you want to volunteer to be on the next stream and you feel like you have something of value, um, yeah, reach out to us. Like, I mean, uh, we're not sort of closing it off to anyone. Um, it just so happened that uh, I don't know. I think um, uh, it's just you, you. You guys are the only ones that put your hand up. So here you are. <laughs> well, it was really short notice uh, as well. So it was extremely short notice. We're, we're kind so of we're kind of uh, commemorating or breaking in. Uh, oh, this the is new this... the new stream schedule. Yeah, hopefully we'll hopefully I'll, I don't know we'll have a more diverse panel later on. You know, not so many investment nah, this bankers. This is working. <laughs> right. Ugh. Anyway, uh, all right, cool. So uh, that out of the way. Uh, so that's the introduction done. A hundred, uh, an hour and, and twenty minutes into it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, uh, bring up bring up the next question, and we'll get all into right. that. Oh, how much longer do you want to go for? By the way. Uh, I think I've probably got another twenty minutes left of me, and then it's then it's bedtime for Mister Reconox explained here. Okie dokie, lovely. Let's see. Well, uh, we've kind of run out of the uh, vetted stream stream questions, so I'm now going to. Well, some of these questions uh, are stuff from that we plebs. we answered yesterday. Would you be comfortable re-answering those? Yeah, that's fine. I've already thought okay. of my answer. I don't have to do too much thinky-thinky. Yeah, but some of them are just like we've already covered. Like, for instance, one of the questions is, uh, is there an argument to let businesses fail? Well, we covered that, really. I'll um, put a new twist on that. I'll try at least. Yeah. <laughs> Say, no, we should let them go. Very <laughs> uh, <laughs> to the ground. Um, so Beatrice uh, hacks, asks, uh, um, Basically, through modern monetary theory, moving around papers like money, assets, etc., can do and create economic value slash wealth. He says, I suppose this means no. that during the course of the normal market operation, money were somehow misdistributed in such a way that it now has to be redistributed through stimulus slash UBI slash negative tax slash tax breaks, etc. And uh, so how do we want to approach this? Uh, I think I think it's two questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think um, I, the one that I really want to uh, answer is that basic the 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 thing where um, you know moving money around, moving paper or digits on a screen yeah. or whatever it is, does that create economic value? Uh, and of course, the most foundational answer is no. Um, you can't build a society based on sort of pinging numbers back and forth on Excel spreadsheets or you know handing paper rectangles back and forth between each other, despite what uh, you know GDP figures might have you believe. Uh, unfortunately, that's just not how uh, economies work. That's not how you create value. That's not how you fulfill people's unlimited wants with limited resources. What moving money around can do, though, is two things. Uh, firstly, when we have people that are afraid, it can create the impetus to actually go out and create things. Um, so it can create the medium of exchange uh, and create sort of immediate uh, sort of velocity or, or immediate impetus i suppose is the right word to to actually sort of actually you know fire up those factories and get people to um sort of be there to receive the supply of those goods uh, and the other thing is of course uh, actually sort of having money that moves freely around an economy it facilitates those kinds of exchanges that do generate wealth that do work towards um you know fulfilling people's limited uh, unlimited wants with with limited resources fantastic question it's such a, you have to take such a step back and it's the most foundational stuff of economics uh, and it's so sort of basic and and vast in its in its nature that you, you almost kind of sound like you're 
Um, I made a joke of it yesterday that you, you've, you've taken one too many bong rips. Um, and, you know, it is true, but it is, you know, realistically, that is the central tenet of what e economies are. You know, we're going to get, you know, um, distracted by all these sort of very finicky, you know, what's, the, what's an appropriate debt to income ratio? What's an appropriate, uh, you know, money, uh, cash rate? What's an appropriate uh, way to handle uh, fiscal stimulus during, you know, times of supply side crises and stuff like that? And uh, yeah, while all these questions are extremely important, um, sometimes it distracts from actually what is genuinely uh, what, what an economy's function is, and that's to provide wealth to its participants. It doesn't have to provide wealth to all participants. It doesn't have to provide wealth to those participants fairly. It just has to provide uh, a net increase in wealth, and that's kind of tick. You know, that's the economy's job done. Uh, of course, actually doing that, very, very complicated, and that's where sort of, you know, we get into these, you know, itty-bitty, finicky things of shuffling money about. Um, in the same way that, um, I don't know, a plumber uh, can't do their job um, by, you know, uh, drawing pretty plans of, of pipes, um, you know. Of course, that's an important part of their job, but realistically, the foundational aspect of their job is to, uh, you know, plumb shit, right? Yeah, well, literally, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't even think of that. Um but you know, it, it, it's still sort of distracting from you know. Look, there there are you know planning aspects and and sort of um, these control aspects that that go into facilitating that, uh, and that's where you know all of this sort of moving money about stuff comes from. I actually do plan on making a video as like what would happen if we reset the economy if everyone just sort of went back to zero tomorrow. Uh, what would happen? Um, that is coming out soon. You know, yeah, wow. I'm not going to commit to yeah, it because if you have a crisis. Yeah, um, but it is an interesting it is an interesting sort of question. Um, one so someone that actually had a really interesting question that I want to bring up uh, is one that I oh. think is quite amazing because it also shamelessly plugs sort of what I ultimately hope on on eventually doing um, is this: uh, Do you think things that uh, do the things that personal finance channels advocate for, e.g., investing into real estate and being frugal, cause issue on a macroeconomic level. I love this. I love this question because it is Where's so relevant. Buy, where is this question at? Uh, it's on the YouTube. Uh, it's on the YouTube live stream. Phoenix Ooh. asked it. Um, so I'm going to sort of mix it up where we're getting those questions. You're getting uh, good questions. Yeah, yeah. YouTube's there. Yep. Good on you guys. Um, and I think it's actually Phoenix as well. He's been knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Well, hey, Phoenix, yeah. if you if you want to be on the, the live stream next uh, or Saturday, I think it is. Yeah, Saturday. Um, let us know because you've got some really good yeah. insight. So we have yeah, a, yeah, yeah, for everyone else, um, our system is if you join the Discord, you'll be able to find uh, the video and stream schedule on there. There's an application uh, form. So fill it out. Give some details. It's okay if you're if you are still like a student or you don't have expertise in in economics. You don't have to have you know a ton of degrees or anything like that. A graph yeah. doesn't have anything, and he's you know um, holding great ground here. So that's not yeah, a dig. Nothing to us right here. No, no. Uh, of course. Um, yeah, uh, it's all about. Yeah, it's all it's all about sort of bringing <laughs> a, 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 an a range a, a range of opinions, and, and it's about us facilitating a conversation. But anyway, to answer the question at hand. I love this one because um, starters, I think these these people can do uh, a lot of good, you know, in the sense of teaching people about, you know, basic personal finance. Um, it is, 
you know, really important that people understand this. It's not, unfortunately, you know, a lot of times it's not taught in school or, or people don't ha have it in a, in a way that's engageable or something that they want to watch. Uh, and oftentimes these personal finances, because, you know, realistically, they're, they're, they're YouTubers first and then, you know, personal, personal finance pundits second. They kind of figure out a way to make it entertaining. Uh, and if that means that they, you know, do it in their garage in front of their Lamborghini, uh, you know, so be it. Um, not sort of particular shout out to Ty Lopez. Uh, for example, I'm actually a great fan of of uh, Graham Stephan, who's probably one of the larger um, personal finance YouTubers out there. Uh, I think a lot of his message is really, really positive in the sense that, hey, you know what? Don't live paycheck to paycheck. Don't rack up debt. Um, you know, don't... Um, you know, live beyond your means, whatever whatever your means happen to be. I mean, I think I've seen him yeah. go off at people earning $250,000 just as heavily as I've seen him go off at people earning $40,000 um, because people tend to, you know, lifestyle creep and stuff like that is a major thing. In that aspect, it's really, really positive. I think where it gets really, really negative um, is the message that anyone can do this if you follow these simple steps, you know, where it gets into these things like investing into real estate, things like investing into share markets and stuff like that. Um, whereas, yeah, you know what? Look, anyone probably can do it, but they really need to understand the risks. Oh. And you know what? There's only a select group of people that are actually going to be able to make a shit ton of money off it. Graham Stephan is a great example. Like he, he would tell you he's a rags to riches story, but realistically, that guy earns one and a half million dollars a year off youtube if anyone earns one and a half million dollars off youtube it's really easy to be a great great with your personal finances right uh that's that's a kind of on easy mode uh and the right. idea that hey guys i'm going to teach you about personal finance today we're going to learn about investment properties and how they can generate ca uh, positive cash flow yeah. for you sounds great so far but what's a less positive message is hey you know what realistically if you're earning forty thousand dollars a year uh, this isn't going to be for you because you're not wealthy enough to facilitate these types of transaction yeah. or assume the yeah. types of risks that are involved in it. But that doesn't appeal to a broad audience, does it? So they're kind of yeah. going to leave that shit out. Yeah. It's like and step, that's where step can... one. Step one, already have a lot of wealth. Step yeah, two, it's... use that wealth. Okay, you failed step one. Well, the video's yeah. over. You can't really and, watch and, the rest and, of it. And if they, if if they started, you know, in the first ten seconds, it's like, hey, I'm sorry, this only applies to people earning, you know, in excess of eighty thousand dollars a year. Immediately, people, a lot of people are going to click away. Uh, you know, if maybe there's some voyeurs that just want to see what life is like on the other side. Uh, and sure, you know, that, that provides a bit of entertainment for people. But this idea that it, oh, anyone can do it, I think that's the dangerous part of it. Because no, not anyone can do it. Realistically, there's people living out their paycheck to paycheck through no fault of their own. There's plenty of people living paycheck to paycheck through fault of their own because they're idiots with their money. Um, but, you know, a good majority of people aren't. And this idea that, oh, you know, you just need to save up and buy an investment property is really dangerous because you know realistically people could yeah, lose a lot of per... yeah but yeah, advocating remember... that... oh sorry I, like, yeah personal... go ahead oh personal story like i remember when i was uh younger this was right before the crisis the 2008 crisis and um i remember talking with this guy on my bus um and he was saying oh my parents are flipping houses and i said what's that Oh, they buy up these houses and they renovate them and they sell them for more money. And he's like, and they're making lots of money. And I'm like, I immediately like thought like, that's a that's a scam or something. Not a scam, but it's just like it's just uh, it, it. Especially I knew he wasn't like the wealthiest. Didn't come from the wealthiest family, but they're putting in uh, a lot of money, and it's just so risky. Yeah. 
uh, all tied into just a couple things, a couple assets. I, you know, I, I, I agree with you. This, I mean, this, this is a phenomenal question and you know, I, I, I don't know why it is. It's just like, uh, as of late, there's just been so much content on, uh, or content, even advertising on YouTube, um, where, you know, people are taking advantage of this, oh, anybody can do it kind of mentality and uh, creating these courses that are very often, uh, I, I hate to say it, but scams in a way. Um, so, uh, but in, in terms of the uh, personal finance YouTubers, I, I too am kind of like, I'm conflicted as to how to feel about it because I like what Graham says. I think a lot of what he says is, is true. I think um, in terms of factual accuracy, I think he's like 97% on the spot and that's really good for not having any sort of like college education or formal finance background. Uh, when he talks yeah. about the Fed stuff, he start, he some, sometimes misses, misses the mark on, on what they're actually doing, but uh, um, that's okay. But, but you, uh, you've got you to realize, I think the big takeaway is, uh, Graham Stephan especially, he's an entertainer. Yeah. You know, the, the, the amount of stuff that a mere mortal can learn from Graham Stephan about how he sort of achieved what he's achieved who here, uh, well, outside maybe the investment bankers in the chat, I guess, uh, is going to realistically be earning a one and a half million dollars in their life? No one. So it's sort of one of those things where, yeah, he 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 has a channel. It's fun to watch, and you know what, he he, he does well. Uh, I think he says a lot of good stuff, but it's it's entertainment first and actual sort of advice second. Yeah. Uh, reason I the reason I brought this up as such a shameless plug, and I, the reason I jumped on this question is I actually do plan on making a channel uh, like personal finance explained. I don't think it's going to be nearly as broadly appealing as uh, personal as economics explained purely for the fact that um, I'll do it because I think it's something that people need to understand, but they need to understand it in a way that is, let's be honest about the situation. If you're earning $40,000 a year, I'm sorry, you're not going to get rich through real estate. I'm sorry, you're not going to get rich through the powers of compound interest. If you want to get wealthy, um, okay, here are the steps to do that. You know, these are the money. career will do and that. They're also they are also long term steps. This so is a lot, this... a lot of people want to see like I'm going to be wealthy within a month, and yeah. that's for them that's long term. When in reality, yeah. that's not long term at all. Yeah, yeah. This is this is how you get wealthy in 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 you know, um, twenty thirty years. I mean, uh, like to use myself as an example. Um, I and mean, obviously not to my own horn and not to not to disclose too much or anything like that. Um, but obviously I'm sort of, you know, a very fortunate position now where uh, even before YouTube or anything like that, um, I had uh, a really, really good job. So that was fantastic for me. And, um, you know, I sort of did well. Um, but I was still then. I was living on the, the income and sort of spending an amount that was when I basically uh, was working in college. I was working as like a retail store manager. Uh, obviously I graduated, uh, went into my master's degree and uh, then, then got into my PhD and, and then sort of went into to the private sector and, and, and earned a lot more money. Uh, but I was still sort of living like I was, you know, a, a student working, um, you know, part-time and in some kind of, uh, you know, retail management role. Uh, and I've kind of kept those spending habits. You know, I live in a you know, relatively comfortable, but modest apartment and, and everything else just got saved and invested just because that's the type of person I am. I uh, need sort of fancy things. I, and that, that's realistically the way that most people get wealthy. But the thing is, um, obviously, I, I am, you know, I wouldn't be getting wealthy if I was still a retail store manager. Um, I'm very fortunate in the sense that I have a very good income, so I can accommodate it. Um, but it's just sort of that stark reality just doesn't appeal to a wide audience, unfortunately. 
and that means that you know it's not going to do well on YouTube because you can't you know kind of get as many clicks or likes or whatever it is that that makes it all happen. Um, anyway, uh, I think that 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 was a really interesting question. Probably a bit a bit of a tangent to, to the stimulus, but yeah. something that I think is definitely worth talking about. Oh, yeah. uh, even I, if it was one last thing that I would say is just oh yeah, go ahead. The, the, like the answer to all of this, if if it's bad, uh, the answer is flex culture. Are you uncomfortable with if people? If you're uncomfortable with flex culture, then kind of shows that you kind of think it's bad, right? And oh. if you're comfortable with flex culture, then well, that's you you, you might not think it's bad. Uh, well, promoting frugality is always good, I think. Yeah, but it's not sexy. That's the thing. Well, you know, save uh, money. That's, that's not a button message. It's, right, but. For, for a lot of people, you know, a, a lot of people want to know how to, and I hate to say it, get rich quick, and it's it's never good. That's why, you know, a lot of times they'll have the Lamborghinis. Hey, you know, look look at me. Uh, you know, 99% of the time the Lamborghinis are rented. Um, but that's, <laughs> but that's like, like, we jo- like people joke that like, oh, if you want to get rich quick, well, here's what you do. You rent a Lamborghini and you tell people that you have a method. Uh, so you rent out a bunch of nice space and tell people that you have a method and then they have to pay you for that method. And so long as you get more people subscribed to your method, then cost you to rent all that stuff. Hey, you're now making money. And we say that jokingly, but people legitimately go out there and do that unironically. How to, how to get I, I, rich, run fraud. I have to ask, like, how many of those guys are out there now? Because I know, you know, there was the original, you know, there was the Ty Lopez and, uh, you know, and there's the there's the big guys that are sort of really, really out there in the limelight. Um, but it just seems like every time I log on to anything that I'm and I'm watching ads on, it's just a new guy there with some shitty mic and a rented car. Yeah. Oh, I genuinely think how many how many of them are out there? There should be a, there should be a no, website No, it's probably not going that thinks. Yeah. Yeah, but the yeah, album, and, yeah. But and, just, you wonder, and you wonder if, like, any of them sort of like because it seems like you know there's ones that you'll see for for ages and ages like uh the one that i always see oh i'm australian so i don't know if it's specific to australia is, is adam hudson it's like hey i'm adam hudson and i'm here to tell you about how you can make a shit ton of money selling goods on amazon um and then i think that was really big for a while and now you don't see adam hudson anymore so you have to wonder did, did adam hudson make all the money he was after or is he going yeah, he, made, business? he made it big and he cash went out or or yeah <laughs> went, went down uh no. Well, anyway, uh, I digress. It's all it's all fun stuff, isn't it? Anyway, uh, look, go go find us another question. We'll answer right. one more, and then this I a... am gonna go to bed. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is a question from me. Where to go? I had it up. It's gone. No more oh, no. question. Oh no. <laughs> uh, it had to do with um, uh, shareholders. You know, what's the responsibility of shareholders? Or where does so we talked earlier about where the puck stops, and I think it's, there's a question. Uh, it was in live comment, but I could swore I wrote it down. Um, as like far as I see it, it's the responsibility to allocate money to the most uh, economical company. Uh, that wasn't really the question. So I'm gonna do that. Uh, oh, and just to to answer Phoenix's question as well. Uh, sorry, while we're finding uh, that question. Uh, oh, all right. Uh, he sort of said. Um, I think that of fundamental ethical level, earning one and a half million dollars from investment properties is unethical from a societal perspective, and that's my problem. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, look, I mean, the 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 arguments of inequality, good, bad, that's a tale as old as time. Uh, I think there's probably no inherent problem with it economically, socially, maybe, economically, not really. Uh, and also, a disclaimer is that. Um, uh, Graham Stephan, the person that I mentioned, doesn't earn $1.5 million from his investment properties. Uh, he earns that from YouTube. I think his investment properties make up a, a relatively modest portion of his income. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. That's uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, explaining it could like any other. So I did find the I did find the question. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, this Sorry. is actually I'm going to also take this question uh, because I want to ask it myself. I'm glad that they. So mm -hmm. the the Jesus Insider asks. Do you think shareholders' returns should be the main responsibility of companies, or should it be something else like profit or other factors of product productivity? And I will actually it... answer this question. Uh, I would go. say yes and no. Uh, and this is in actually a very interesting topic because uh, this is there's currently uh, financial research and financial uh, literature currently going on in academia talking about uh, or discussing this. Uh, so I was very upset when. Uh, I was graduating and it turns out that one of my favorite professors uh, was actually the next year was going to be teaching an entire class uh, on uh, finance and society. Uh, and I'll just read like just a little bit from the syllabus of, uh, you know, what should be a firm's objective? Should it be simply maximizing shareholder profits or enhancing shareholder or enhancing stakeholder value and contributing to the common good? Or should it be something else? Uh, and so we, he, over the entire class, he looks at a number of different, uh, what's the purpose of a corporation? Do corporations have social responsibility? Do shareholders have social responsibility? Uh, when does, once you've uh, achieved uh, profit or uh, like a shareholder achieves like a desired profit, what then is their goal? Do the, does it mean that they continue to achieve profit or can they potentially forego? These are all like great questions, but the, uh, yeah, the Jesus Insider, you know, Loki, you just asked one of uh, the questions that's like still being debated and still being investigated in academia. So I don't know, E.E., do you have anything that you want to? One thing, okay. one thing I'll, I'll, I'll postulate and, and, and keep in mind, I tend to be more on the, you know, uh, let's, let's sort of help the little guy out, you know, sort of left wing. Realistically, I, I'm very well aware of sort of, individually kind of where I sort of sit and what I think is, is appropriate and whatnot. And I'm, I'm well and truly aware of that bias. But one thing I'll sort of say to the contrary is um, oftentimes when we're looking at uh, structures and economies and corporations are a significant structure in an economy, there is um, significant advantages to having a singular focus. If you overcomplicate things and say, we've got to consider for this, we've got to consider for that, we've got to consider for this, um, they tend to... Um, sort of lose their inherent efficiencies. They tend to lose what well, it, it is bureaucratic. that... Yeah. It becomes yeah. very, very bureaucratic. Whereas in a sense that, okay, you know what? You know what, Mr. Corporation? Yes. Be as cold-hearted as you possibly can. <laughs> your job here is to make as much fucking money for your investors as possible. And everyone knows what it is then. In the same way that, yeah. um, hey, should we make chainsaws less good at cutting off people's arms? Well... I mean, sure, but if it makes them less good at cutting down trees, it's like, okay, well, we kind of knew what this thing was here to do. It's up to us to actually control it, to use it properly. And that means that potentially it's the role of governments, uh, you know, uh, regulatory bodies to actually sort of steer this kind of unruly tool. Uh, and I think in the sense that if we kind of put that, uh, if we kind of put the onus on, on corporations, well, for starters, who really gets to make the decision in corporations? Normally, it's people with a vested interest in making lots and lots of money. So would they ever really, you know, yeah. really subscribe to this triple bottom line or whatever it may be? Yep. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. But if you really think it, it's like, okay, if we pass the buck of responsibility to corporations themselves, that is just a recipe for goddamn disaster. Um, whereas well, if we say, okay, Mr. Corporation, you just make as much money as you possible so long as you obey these rules. And if you don't obey these rules, then we're going to fuck you up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that I would argue is probably the better way of doing things. 
I see like uh, maximizing profit is actually like an objective objective. It's not like I feel this is going to be better than like uh, it's like having social yeah, responsibility very, against something objective. else. Yeah, it's a very strong objective. I agree. You, you don't know whether you're picking the best option because just whatever you prefer more, you like prefer not to cut a tree down and feed up feed a like a baby or something. It's just whatever you want it to be. But if you want to maximize profit, this becomes objective. Like you want to make as much money as you can. Yeah, it removes a lot of the decision making and it simplifies yeah. it. I, I fully agree. And I, yeah, I like the, uh, what you put forward about the making the system just more complicated. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Having having mul having multiple bottom lines is just more variables to. Yeah, you have to have like boil everything down to one thing to maximize it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just find it. Also, I just find it interesting that it's like these are questions that are being asked, like not by the government, but actually by people within corporations themselves. Um, well, of course. Yeah, of course, corporations it's, would like to be regulated. Well, it's a. It's a, it's more of the. I, I'm I'm big on you know uh, talking about how corporations are you know a part of society. Uh, like I'm very part interested of the government. In, corporations are part of the government. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, uh, when you get paid by something, then you oh, know, you get paid by the government. You know, you, no, yeah, no. if you're you're, if you're attached, no, you're, sub them. you're quite subservient to it. Yeah, you know, they regulate you. They tell what you do, and they give you money for that. Yeah, like but that. but in this case, it's like it's something completely independent. Uh, it's more of it's uh, quote unquote grassroots. So it's like ah, oh, it's just emerging. Well, they always want. Oh, they always want to make it seem grassroots, but it never is. Oh my gosh, the government isn't out to get you, Raphael. Calm down. <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying anything. Anyway, um, so I think uh, with that, it's it's my bedtime. Um, well, so I'm going to... I don't take it for So uh, to everyone that uh, participated on the YouTube live stream or to anyone that was watching on the Discord server, um, thanks for all the fantastic questions. Uh, all the comments were, were great. Uh, obviously, to everyone that was in the the stream here, um, you guys have been sort of a really amazing panel and, and you've made this sort of first time, yeah. which I kind of half expected to be a complete disaster <sighs> as we're working through things. Yeah, we did. Uh, oh, no, Lord uh, of the Flies just asked a great question. Uh, should we Write it down. Leave it for the next time. What are yeah. your opinions of government no, mandates? We're doing it on Saturday. Um, right. yeah. so, um, to anyone that does want to participate or be on the panel like these uh, these guys here, um, feel free to join our Discord server. So the link to that is in the description of this video as well as in the description of every video that I post over on the main channel. Uh, I think it's really, really great. Uh, obviously, you'll probably be talked about you know, what your credentials are and sort of what your background is. Um, not to say that we sort of... Um, discriminate, you know, we're happy to have sort of anyone on that, uh -huh. that's happy to talk. Um, but of course, I don't know, if, if a Nobel laureate comes up, then we're, we're probably going to bring him <laughs> on, uh, ping on, him Truth or her man. on rather than that. Uh, yeah, yeah, we can talk about the <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, uh, but outside of may, that, yes. I'm going to make an after party in the Discord chat. Sounds like if a anybody plan. wants but to yeah, comment. If you yeah. do want to continue the discussion, join our Discord server. There'll be a, a chat channel and you can talk to all of these guys sort of directly. Uh, it's a great place to talk to people anyway, or I don't know, shout at people about differing economic opinions. Uh, either way, <laughs> uh, however you use it, it's all it's all good fun. Uh, and then until next time, I'll see you guys. Well, uh, video goes up on Thursday and then we'll be doing the next sort of live Q&A session like this on Saturday. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, and until then, yeah. good night, everyone. All right, yeah, you too. Take care.